0: From the windmills near Browndale to the windmills near Bear Creek, I'm Prospector, and I'm all about nepotism. Add to episode two. My guest is a guy I've known a bit. I don't know him super well, but I know him. Proud to call him a friend. Since 1987, I've known this man. You know him from WNEP, Mr. Andy Palumbo. So we're chatting with uh, Andy Palumbo, who I'm sure you know from WNEP, on the news Saturday and Sunday mornings and as a reporter during the week. And uh, Andy and I, we go back um, more years than I care to say because we're both on the older side. uh, How you doing, brother? How's everything? I'm okay. Thanks for having me. Now, Now, obviously, you're a big, fancy TV star, but you don't seem... Like one of those vacuous, empty heads. You seem like a smart, educated guy. Is that, I mean, are, oh, is man. That, I'm, I'm just wondering, is, oh. like, is that like a stereotype? Are most of the guys you work with smart, educated, or are there some of those, you know, Ted Baxtery kind of guys out there still? I've
1: worked with some of those over the years, but for yeah. the most part, I always like to say we're generalists. So we know a little bit about a lot of different things.
0: Right. So you're probably like a blast at a party then? Uh,
1: no, not at all. No. Um, no, because people have an expectation because you've been on radio and TV. Yeah. People think you're the life of the party. But, <laughs> uh, actually that's, as one friend of mine once put it, that's like a coat you wear. <laughs> and yeah. you, you put it on, you put it on for 40 hours a week and then when you're not on duty, you're not on duty, I like to blend into the
0: background. So do you even do you go to parties if somebody invites you, you know, hey, we're having this big shindig, you know, come on over the house, are you the guy who's going to be like, "No, I'm not doing that," or do you show up or what? Yeah, pretty pretty much. No, well, I'm not I'm not going to complain about my hours
1: because <laughs> I work weekends and overnights and early mornings. I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah. That is the life I have chosen. Sure, yeah. But but because of that, that takes me out of the mix for a lot of social events and parties because because I can't go. You know, I work weekends, I work overnight, and, mm-hmm. and people have accepted that, and now the invitations just don't come anymore because <laughs> people obviously know I'm not going to go.
0: They're like, yeah, he's not showing up, don't bother. Does it bum you out that you don't get the invites, or are you good with that?
1: I ain't used to, but you'll learn to deal after
0: this. <laughs> It's never Sometimes I. Get, no, sometimes
1: I get offended. Uh, I've been invited to a few weddings this year. Kind of do because I'm at the age where everybody who's going to be married is married. Right. But, I, and, you know, I tell them, I, you know, invitations are expensive. Save those for the people who will go. And I know that that sounds crass and horrible and, and mean spirited, but I'm trying to do things in their best interest. Like, I can't go. Don't invite me. Save that for someone who can go, and now, they don't listen anyway.
0: You can still. But I'm flattered that I. I'm flattered that I get though. <laughs> you do realize if you get an invite, you could just send a check as a gift and not go, right? Oh, of course. Okay, so that's why they're sending you the invite. They're not. They're not going out of their way. They're fishing <laughs> for money, buddy. <laughs> it's like a parole program.
1: You know, you pay to get out of jail.
0: <laughs> so, are you like one of those guys who? I mean, did you watch TV as a kid going, man, I'm going to do that someday? Or did you fall bass-ackwards into the business of uh, TV news? How'd that happen?
1: Okay. Um, media was always something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I never looked at, you know, Cronkite and said, I want to be Cronkite or Brocco or Peter Jennings. I never said that's the guy I wanted to be. I originally set out to be a producer, mm-hmm. but, you know, stranger things have happened and I still do produce quite a bit, you know, more than half my week, but I, I never set out to be Cronkite. I knew I wanted media. I knew I wanted news, but the path was a little more bizarre than I thought it would be.
0: (laughs) So I want to go back to, you know, 12 year old, 10 year old Andy Palumbo sitting in front of the TV going, I want to be on the news. Like, how does that happen? It seems like such like a, um, um, an uptight profession are you telling me you were an uptight kid because you don't seem like an uptight adult dude
1: yeah i was always bookish as they say okay but obviously you know if you 12 years old i was listening to the radio yeah and it wasn't for the music it was for the disc jockeys it was for the news it was for the jingles Mm -hmm. it was for the promotion it was it, it was that stuff that intrigued me more than the music okay so and i don't know if it was the same with you but the first time you walk into a radio station and you see the buttons and the knobs and the dials and the lights and the teleprompter, and it's just a magical experience. Yeah. And when I went to college, and as you well know, you've got to do both. You've got to do some radio and you've got to do some TV. Right. And, and I did some TV and I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. But I spent the first 10 years of my professional life in radio, and I would have stayed there, but radio changed. <laughs> Uh, it got away from it got away from local news, yeah. And some TV opportunities presented themselves, and it, it just seemed like a natural, a natural jump from one to the other.
0: I want to get back to your time in radio and how that changed, but I, you said something that I thought it was just kind of interesting that you listened for the the news and the DJs and the jingles. So who did you listen to at that time? And i I think I have a pretty good guess because uh, it was the dominant station in Northeast PA, and you're a Northeast PA guy lifelong, right?
1: Well, of course, you know you listen. Everybody here listened to Warm as a kid, right? You know, sometimes you you dabbled with the other stations. Uh, <laughs> WYLK had a had a great sounding station late seventies, early eighties, right? Uh, you know, WSCR had some flashes of brilliance. Sure, uh, WEJL had a very good news product, mm. mainly because they were sitting on top of the Grand Time. Yeah, that helped. Um, yeah, of course, uh, the old WYCK was a pioneer in talk radio back in the sixties. Um, but for the most part, you know, 90% was
0: warm. So you like me listened to Harry West and went, man, that sounds like a great time. I want to do that.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: I can, I mean, I remember my dad driving me to school as a kid and, uh, you know, Harry West was on the radio and my dad was paying attention and I'm like, yep, that, that's what I want to be, man. I got to do that. You know? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and
1: I got to work with Harry yeah. as, as it turned out. And as I always said, you know, when Harry passed, I wrote the, I never saw anyone with more enthusiasm coming into work every day in the most horrible of hours. You know, (laughs) Harry would show up at four thirty-five o'clock, and he would bound in the door. I I I never saw someone more enthusiastic and loving your job than Harry did.
0: These are, I mean, let's be fair about these. I don't. I'm not going to speak for you, but they're dream jobs to me. All I ever wanted to do was this and and talk and and be on the radio. So I don't care. I got to get up at three in the morning. Who cares, man? Five minutes after that alarm's off, I'm in the best mood of my life because I'm lucky enough to get to do what I've wanted to do since I was a kid.
1: Exactly. And the people at home, we have the best jobs in the world. You know, we know about stuff before anybody else does. (laughs) We talk for a living. We have fun. Yeah. you know, that's why, I, That's again, that's why I never complain about the hours.
0: So let's talk about this. So you, you you want to be on the media, you want to be in news, and you're going to college. Uh, you went to Marywood. I know that because I went there as well. I was behind you. You know, you're one of those guys that were like, oh, man, Andy Palumbo went here. Wow. You know? Uh, was it th- <laughs> Seriously, Boy, people say that about you. I'm telling you. Or they did back in our day. Um, but was that your first choice school? How'd that hell happen? Did you apply to like a million? What happened?
1: No. Um Back in the old days, and I'm cheap, um, <laughs> I forget. I forget. You know, I, I couldn't get over the fact that you had to pay to apply to a college. Yeah. And that, that, that's obscene. And then uh, in the old days, I don't know if it's this way now, you can you could get your SATs reported to three colleges for free.
0: Right. I, I mean, it was when I got out of high school, but I graduated in 1985, so who knows? And after that, you had to pay.
1: Right. And I was a good guy. And I knew, you know, I knew I was gonna stay vocal, so I had my SATs reported to Marywood, the University of Scranton, and just for the third, the University of Miami, oh, we, nice. and I had, I had no intentions of going there, <laughs> uh, my, and, and my SATs were pretty fair, so they kept on sending me brochures yeah. that looked like things you would see at a travel agent, you know, <laughs> women in bikinis on beaches, yeah. and you know, come to school here, and like, I, I used to get these and cry, like, why did I do this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> especially in the middle of the winter, you know,
1: exactly. But I, I, Marywood was pretty much my, my first choice. And, uh, I do not regret that at all.
0: I, I mean, look, Marywood, when you went there, when I went there for years after was a wonderful pipeline into local media jobs, you know? Oh
1: yeah. Oh, they, uh, they took a, the other radio and TV stations right here, uh, had a big internship program with Marywood yeah. and, uh, they knew it was a solid program and they had a lot of kids who, you know, made the jump, and if you had Marywood on a resume, mm-hmm. now a lot of people go nuts over Syracuse and, and Penn State, and that's all well and good. Sure, but if they if a local employer saw Marywood on a resume, that was a plus.
0: Yeah, and it certainly didn't hurt either one of us. No, not at all. <laughs> so you, you 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 want to be on the radio? You get a job at Warm. How did that happen? Like, did you? Uh, how many times did you apply? How, how was the interview? Who hired you? Tell yeah. me all about it.
1: Uh, Ron Allen was the program director back then. Okay. Uh, one of my classmates had a part-time job there, and they were looking for somebody for one day a week, one in the morning until nine in the morning on Sundays.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I you know what
1: that is. <laughs> you, you weren't on the air. All you did was sit there and play the religion and the public affairs tapes. You yeah. put a reel, of, a reel of tape on the machine, press a couple of buttons. A half hour later, you'd play a couple of public service announcements. Mm-hmm. and the legal ID and you put another tape on the machine and you do that for 8 hours once a week Sunday morning right uh and I was thrilled to have it you know like I said I wasn't I wasn't on the air mm-hmm. but you know just walking into the warm building back then it was an avoca yep. you know you'd get weak in the knees it was the hall of fame it was where the heavy hitters were
0: it was the and yankee stadium I was, you know
1: I, I was the tiniest of cogs in the big warm <laughs> machine <laughs> but i was just so thrilled to be there and then the late great Tim Carlson was doing Afternoon Drive 3 to 7 back in those days mm-hmm. don't ask me why because I'm such a totally unlikable person <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's not true you're, you're an incredibly likable person I know you a long time trust me I think you're one of the sweetest people in the world but anyway Tim Timmy took, Timmy took a liking to me for some
1: reason mm-hmm. and he would have me do tapes read broadcasts, read news broadcasts on tape Okay. And he would critique him every week, and until I got better and better and better and better, then finally he thought I was good enough and he played one for Jerry Heller, the news director. And then I started going out on the road, doing some news reporting out on the road, and then that led to a little anchoring. And one thing led to another, and here I am.
0: So when you're driving, so I, I, um, go ahead. I owe a lot to Tim Carlson. Yeah, Tim, I mean, an amazing guy and a Jerry Heller, you know, a very smart guy, uh, obviously recognized talent. You're out there. Are you driving your own car? Are you in like a warm car? Because Warm had cars and vehicles back then, right?
1: Yes, they did. Uh, my first several out-on-the-road trips, I took my own because the Warm-news cars were standards. Okay. They weren't automatic. <laughs> they were Subarus, and they I didn't know how to drive a stick. I eventually learned. Sure and and figured it out but the first time i took my own and then once i learned how to drive a stick i was in the company cars
0: <laughs> i didn't realize they were i mean because by the time i started working at uh, your sister station uh 87 i think it was when i worked at magic 93 when i first met you uh i don't even remember how many cars they still had they had that big studio boat thing i remember that
1: they had that yeah. but we had we had two beat-up cars, and we eventually get rid of those for new Subarus, which were also sticks. But the, the program director at the time, Gavin a Rod Burnham,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we had two cars, and they were numbered five and seven. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so when people saw car seven going down the road, they thought, hey, look at that radio station. They got seven cars. Yeah. But we had two, and they were named five and seven.
0: It's not the worst idea in the world. It really isn't. No, it wasn't. Uh, you know, there's that old
1: saying in, in media: you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle, yeah. and it's all the illusion. And you know, <laughs> granted, it was kind of disingenuous for a news organization. This name is True. cars like that. Yes. Yeah. But- I had I had nothing to do with it, and plus the statute of limitations run out. And,
0: <laughs> and warm radio, if nothing else, was a well-branded radio station in everything they did. I mean, you know, Operation Snowflake. It's only warm for me. The Mighty Five Ninety. They those guys didn't miss a trick when it came to putting their name out there. So no surprise, five and seven. Somebody's a genius, you know.
1: And you you still look at a lot of things you hear on radio and TV today, and it dates back to what Warm did in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Was, you know, the, the, uh, the, the cancellations forever, you know, that was, that was a warm thing and they, everybody else picked up on. It.
0: Yeah. Nobody was doing them. And they said, we got to put this on the radio and then all of a sudden everybody's like, man, warm's doing it. We got to do it.
1: Exactly. And it, it, it's funny because even radio stations don't do it anymore. And, uh, eventually I can see TV doing it going away because everything's gone to, uh, text messages and alerts and the internet.
0: Yeah. I haven't done a radio, uh, a snow cancellation in five years now. And I'll be honest, it's nice not having to dig through those phones, trying to find out who's canceled and who's not.
1: It was quite the process back in the pre-computer days. It was very, it was very time consuming and labor intensive, but they had their act together. And if you know, you called in a cancellation, it got on the air within minutes.
0: (laughs) So you work at warm radio, Andy Palumbo's there. How old are you when you get the job?
1: Um, got the job yeah. 40 years ago. It was April of 81. Wow. And I was part. I graduated from college in 83 and went full time January 1st of 84.
0: So you were like 17 or 18 when you started getting paid to do this stuff.
1: I was a sophomore. Yeah, I was uh, 19. I think. 19. Okay.
0: See, my math is poor. That's why I do this for a living. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't have to, we don't have to add. No, there's very we little. We up. We don't take off for spelling either.
0: <laughs> Thank God for that. Uh, so you, you get in there, you walk into the Yankee Stadium of Local Broadcasting, in Avoca, in Warm, the big lobby. And the great thing is, if, I, if you've never seen the Warm Studios, the studio window was before you got into the building. You walk in the um, vestibule, and there's a studio window, so you could see right in. You'd see Harry West. You'd see, uh, you know, um, uh, Tim Carlson. You'd see anybody in there, Ron Allen, doing their shows. Was that Vince intimidating? Sweeney, yeah, Vince Sweeney, yeah. I forgot Vince was there. Yeah. I mean, was it intimidating to you as you are going there?
1: Exceptionally. Yeah. It really was. Plus, I had no business being there. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, here's this 19-year-old kid, and everybody, I, I it was a little different when you started, but when I started, everybody was older and established, and it was just such an intimidating atmosphere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes I'm sitting there next to these guys like, what am I doing here? You know, and it's. You know, here I was, a, I had hair back then, and it was a lot longer.
2: Yeah.
1: And I came from, you know, playing rock and roll on a college radio station, and here I am playing, you know, Martha and the Vandellas. You know, I did a little disc jockeying stuff in my early days there. Mm-hmm. I was the swing man. You know, a little music, a little news. And then I eventually went to news full time. But, uh, like, oh my God, I know nothing about this. Why am I here? <laughs> and then there were a couple of times when we were, you know, I was mostly nights and weekends and overnight. Mm-hmm. This was the time when it was live twenty four seven. Right. You know, and then we eventually picked up Larry King in the mid eighties. But there was a disc jockey, a live disc jockey, midnight to six. (laughs) And I, you know, filled in on that shift a lot, but there were a few times when we were really short handed. And I'm doing middays. And again, I had I really wasn't all that great at it. I was acceptable. Right. But I'm looking around like why am I here? Like why can't they find somebody else a lot better to do this? But as as you well know, you know a lot of it in life, and especially in broadcast, it gives being the right place at the right time.
0: I always say being available is the best thing you can be.
1: And that was the thing. That's another thing I tell kids. That's what the old man tells kids these <laughs> days. I don't know. If, I, I took a crushing credit load my first two years at Marywood. Right. Plus, I went every summer. So by the time my junior year rolled around, I was only on campus one or two days a week. Mm-hmm. And my senior year, they knocked me down from full-time to part-time status because I just didn't need the credits. Right. So therefore, when the radio station called and said, hey, we need somebody to you know, fill in tonight or tomorrow night, yeah, sure I'll be there you know, because I wasn't doing anything else. <laughs>
0: That's, but, like, I, not by design, but genius in retrospect that you were that available, right?
1: Well, I wouldn't say it was designed, but uh, that's just the way it worked out. You know, I for my first two years, I wasn't working, and uh, I just wanted to get in and out of college as quickly as and painlessly as possible.
0: Did you not love like the whole Marywood radio experience? Like I remember walking into VMFM and just thinking this was the coolest place in the world. All the records because all the we had we had, we, we
1: had tons of freedom. Yeah, it was we were. Back in those days, and I'm not sure what it was when you were there, we we're playing rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So it was a so it was a format I was comfortable with.
2: Right.
1: You know, the music library wasn't the greatest, so we were bringing in stuff from home. Sure. You know, so we got we got to play our own stuff, and it was I like, guess that freedom like that will never exist ever again.
0: It doesn't even exist yeah, in college, you, you know. They don't. No,
1: have and that was another that was another thing. Anytime somebody had a commitment like, Hey, I can't do my shift tonight. Would you take me. Yeah. Hey, i loved it. Yeah. I wasn't going to say it was an air arc, yeah. but I just enjoyed doing what I did. And, uh, everything manages to take care of itself.
0: So you get into Marywood, you're, you're, you're doing the rock and roll thing. What were the bands you loved back then? And do you still listen to any of that stuff now?
1: Uh, big on the basics, you know, like the, the Billy Joel's, the Boston's, the Aerosmith, mm-hmm. a lot of older stuff. I like the Beatles. Um, and that was it. I didn't have a great depth of musical knowledge. You know, I knew the basics. I knew enough to get by. Right. And and then, you know, this was pre-internet days, but it was album days. So if you need something to say about a particular artist, you just turn around the album and read the back album. <laughs> yeah.
0: Liner notes were a thing of beauty. You know?
1: <laughs> and it was it wasn't now. I was different than a lot of the other kids there because a lot of and. It, fellow students did it because they had to, and you did have to, you had to put a certain number of hours in on radio and TV. A lot of them did it because they had to. Right. I did it because I liked it. So it wasn't a chore to me. That's why I took everybody else's extra shifts. You know, when somebody, Hey, I've got to tell, I've got to study for this test of market' like, Yeah, I sure I'll do. Right. Um, and I probably talked more than I should have for that particular format. Yeah,
2: That's college.
1: And that's, But that that's something that escapes a lot of college radio today. In that they lose, they've lost their mission. They forget that we're here to train broadcasters. We're not here to compete with the major stations in town. Mm -hmm. And but and I wanted to learn how to talk, and I wanted to learn you know what it takes to. Hey, if somebody tells me now, and you could tell the people the TV people who've been in radio, they said, look, you got to fill sixty seconds. They can fill sixty seconds. They know how long it is. Yep. And I'm pretty much when I'm out on the road, I can scribble out a script on a legal pad and know how long it is before I even put it in the computer. <laughs> and that's 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 a radio skill yeah. which a lot of people don't possess.
0: Uh, and that's a good skill to have because you know you're doing live TV. You never you never know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, that it. Uh, I I bring this up. This is one of my favorite stories, and I'm going to bore you with it. It was the night the Oppenheims building was burning down. Okay. And I had to do, I was at Channel 22 at the time, which was right next door. Right. So, so we had cleared out the building. There was nobody in it. We were running everything from the tower in Hanover Township. So I wasn't getting, I had to do an 859 news update. <laughs> and it had to last exactly a minute. And I was getting no, we wear these earpieces where somebody tells us how much longer we have to go. Right. So I, I had none of that. <laughs> and it, it was the night of Murphy Brown's baby shower. Okay. And at the time, Murphy Brown was one of the few decent CBS shows. Yeah. So if the general manager walks over to me and he says, you have one minute, you will not run over into Murphy Brown. Bill, <laughs> well, you know, we got this. Which one, I was lying. I was terrified. How could but, you not be? Come so, on. <laughs> but... Some divine intervention and I brought it in at exactly a minute. Uh, Don't ask me how. But you know, I had the burning, the smoke billowing up from the up and how we did it from the parking lot on South Washington Avenue where the Scranton Police Headquarters is now. Okay. So we had smoke billowing up over my shoulder and I'm talking about, you know, the landmark up in flames and history and memories and I'm thinking, Oh, I can't run over into Murphy Brown, I've gotta bring this in at exactly a minute. And and some luck I did it.
0: I still uh if I have like when I go out and I'll do a remote, my boss will tell me that my minute breaks are easily ninety to, to uh two minutes breaks all the time. Um so when he tells me, look, I really need this break to be a minute, don't mess around, I still have to look at my watch because um I've gotten out of the habit of worrying about the time, being on a morning show, I can kinda go as long as I feel it works. So I, I've got I've actually lost that skill a little bit, which kinda saddens me, you know? Well you'll get it. You'll get it. <laughs> I don't want to get it anymore. I, I want to be free and just go and talk air Prospector and do all that. But um,
1: It's a value for the advertisers. They get more than they pay.
0: That's right. That's, what I, that's why advertisers love me. It's all my basic thing to keep my job without actually being good at it. Make sure the advertisers love you.
1: Make money for the uh, organization.
0: And then who's going to fire a guy who's bringing in cash? It's just that simple.
1: Exactly. <laughs> that. That's it. Why am I saying exactly so much today? But that's 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 the bottom line.
0: So you're uh, you're at Warm Radio. You've been there nine, ten years. Were you itching to get out? Uh, did you see the writing on the wall, or was it, hey, we're closing up shop, see uh go have a great the life? Writing,
1: writing up, uh, when I started, we had seven full-time news people, which is unheard of yeah. for a city this size. You know, major markets don't have that. Yep. And then they started whittling it down. And then I was being dragged off the road a little more and anchoring more. And my last six months, now this is weird because doing news in morning drive is the pinnacle of radio news. My last six months, I did the morning drive news. (laughs) And again, it was intimidating. I felt out of place. It wasn't where my major skill set was at that particular time in my career. Mm -hmm. So I saw that it was turning into an FM world. The company was putting its emphasis on a couple of FM stations that had taken over. Right. Uh, warm was not a priority. Again, news time was being cut. News people were being cut. And I thought, uh, <laughs> I better look for something else. Okay. So a part-time job at Channel 22 came up, which I started St. Patrick's Day of 1990. And I did that for a year and a half. They offered a full time job like six months after I started, and I said no. Wow. I was happy. Yeah, wow. I was happy on the radio, and I thought, well, I just I just committed career suicide. <laughs> I'll never come back with another offer.
0: Right. That's it. I'm done.
1: Yeah, because if you turn them down once, you know, they're going to start looking elsewhere. Sure. But but the news director at the time, a guy named Jim Depury, who is now retired in Florida, and we're still in touch, mm-hmm. and just a great guy, and another full time opening came up uh several months later and that's when i was doing mornings and i was working 7 days a week right you know 6 on the radio 1 on tv and again handwriting on the wall i thought mm, i better go <laughs> and i did and i sat there i took a long it was a sunday afternoon i had to give my decision on a monday right and i took a long ride up to susquehanna county and back and just thought it over and i wrestled with it because radio is my first love, and it, it always will be. I, in matter of fact, I spend more time listening to radio than I do TV. Uh,
0: oh, I know this because I get the texts about things we're doing on the radio all the time.
1: <laughs> At three o'clock in the morning, I'll yeah. tell you something I didn't like. You know. <laughs> anyway,
0: yeah. Hey, this um, this this makes you guys sound old. Okay, all right. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> oh, I hated that. I mean, yeah, but
1: that you know what? I'm glad you dropped those.
0: I appreciate that kind of feedback, and, and it's from a trusted source, so I think that's good. I just I always smile when I get those kind of texts from you because I love the fact that you still love the medium. You know,
1: I do. Um, and the, another thing that it pains me that I have one of them, i Amazon Echoes in just about every room. Yeah, and and I spend a lot of time listening uh, to out of town stations, which and some satellite because I've got a streaming satellite XM subscription. Sure. And it, it bothers me that I don't listen to local radio as much as I used to, but local radio isn't meeting my needs. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I don't have it in the car, so, you know, I listen to local terrestrial in the car. Right. But anyway, um, so September 91, uh, left radio and uh, started at Channel 22. Where I stayed for six, seven years.
0: From 22 right to channels? I don't want to do the whole radio TV resume here, but was it like, okay, 22's done. They offer you a job at 16. Did you leave there? Go there? Uh, no, no, that no.
1: And this all was uh, a couple of years, uh, 96 to 98. Um, new owners came into 22. Right. I don't think I've ever told this story publicly. I think it might have on the blog. But um, new owners came in, and they wanted me to anchor the morning show full time. Okay. And I said, yeah, I'm happy being a fill-in guy. I like Monday through Friday day side out on the road. And a little anchoring once in a while is okay. I don't want to do it full-time.
0: You like to turn and jobs so, down. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs>
1: um, and the, the morning show was transitioning into not a kind of a new show, but they had some guy there a couple of times a week on how to spackle a wall. <laughs> and and they'd have somebody in with recipes. And right it wasn't going to be the kind of show I was comfortable with. Okay. So I turned it down I said, okay, Hey, great. And then a month later when they reconfigured everything, there was not a place for me. Aha. Yeah. So note to kids, don't turn down a promotion.
0: Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> these things have a way of working themselves out. Um, I, I have another it's, piece of advice I like to give people. Be careful. You don't promote yourself out of a job. So you got to, there's two sides of these coins, you know? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So I, went to Harrisburg and freelance for a little while oh. which was which was great fun. Yeah. And then I hooked on a channel twenty eight. Mm-hmm. And it was not a good fit. You know, they were great people. I think I did a good job. Yeah. But it was a job is like a suit. You know, sometimes it looks good on the rack and you put it on and it's not right for
2: Okay. All right.
1: So I I was not it just it just didn't work out. And in those days it was a union shop. Right. And and after ninety days, you were in the union. So on day eighty-eight, they handed me a check and they said, you know, it's probably best <laughs> if we if we if we went our separate
0: ways. Yeah, well, that's good. You know, I mean, at least they didn't wait till day eighty-nine. <laughs> yeah,
1: really. It was uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Hmm. So happy holidays.
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the it's it's really bad getting fight around the holidays. It's happened to me. It's it's never easy, you know.
1: Like I said, I there were no hard feelings, and I don't think anybody did anything wrong. Sure, just, but didn't it, work. just it just it just didn't work.
0: Well, if you think so, about this, when I'm going to interrupt you because that's what I do. Um, no, go ahead. When I worked with you at susquehanna Broadcasting, who owned Warren Radio, I worked at Magic ninety three. Much like you started off as a, you're not opening your mouth, you're playing these records. There was a show called, uh, I forget what it was called, but it was Cousin Brucie, who was an old-time, you know, top 40 jock from New York City. Sure. And he ran an oldie show that we played records. And you would flip the record after each side was over, and I would run the commercials and make sure the records played. And eventually I ended up doing overnights on the air on a part-time basis, but midnight to 5.30. Talk about a guy like a fish out of water. Here's me with my really kind of happy, bubbly, up-tempo screamy kind of delivery on Magic 93 in the 80s, it was not a good fit, you know?
1: You're playing Air Supply.
0: Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, no disrespect to Air Supply, but that's not me, you know? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And um, so it
1: took a little time off. Okay. And then, uh, as fate would have it, uh, something opened up at Channel 22, and it was producing the morning show. Uh Not anchoring it, but producing it. And by then, the show had given up on the spackle guy and the recipes right? and went back and went back to being a hard news program.
0: So let's talk about so it, what a producer does in case somebody's, you know, listening to this and they're like, okay, what is, what's the difference between producing and being on the air? I know you're not on the air, but for somebody who doesn't know, talk about a producer's role in a newscast.
1: You pick the stories, you write the stories, you put them in the order they think they should be in. You make sure the commercials get played. You make sure everything times out. You make sure you start on time. You make sure you finish on time, and that's pretty much it. You know you 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 run you run the organization during those hours, Mm -hmm. and it's a great deal of responsibility. And I had a little producing experience, but not a ton. Right. So I took over producing the morning show, and uh, you know Derry Bird and uh, Joanne Pulegi and a few other people, and it was fantastic experience. I I you know it was eleven to seven, which you know, not the greatest hours, but they you know, they were okay. I was busy. You know, right. you didn't you weren't even looking at the clock until it was airtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as fate would have it, station changes hands again and was merging with channel twenty eight. So I was going to go back to work for the people who didn't particularly care for me the first time. Right. <laughs> so uh, made, made some phone calls and uh, a friend of mine was working in Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. So, so I went down interviewed in Charleston, West Virginia, got the job. And the news director was a friend of mine. Again, he's up at Buffalo now. We're mm. still in touch. And I said, you know, Bob, I'd like to find something a little closer to home. Right. And he said, you got two weeks. So I he gave me two weeks to make a decision on a lark. I called 16, just, it was the only place I hadn't worked. Right.
0: <laughs> Where else are you going to go?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, and so uh, Paul Stuber was the news director then, hit it off, yeah. and he hired me to be on the assignment desk a few days a week and produce the weekend morning broadcast.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So by now by now it's July, June of 98. Okay. So, so great. You know, it was similar to that warm feeling, you know, walking into Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were, you know, so many people there who had been there so long and the history, and it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. So I did that for 11 months. And then they reconfigured things Mm -hmm. uh, with the weather people. It was, when I started, Snedeker was part-time weekend night. Right. And Mark Sowers was weekend mornings, Mm -hmm. and Noreen Clark was Monday, Tuesday. Mm Mm-hmm. And Sowers did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. So Steniker went full-time Monday through Friday. Mark Sowers became our first webmaster. Mm-hmm. And Noreen Clark went Saturday, Sunday. Right. So after a few months, the news director came to me and said, eh, he wasn't happy with the chemistry between his anchor person at the time and Noreen. He said, I need a third person out there. Would you do it? Okay sure, be more than happy, mm-hmm. and um uh, the rest is history, so we had a producer back in those days, and the producer went on maternity leave and never came back ah so then you so then I became producer and anchor, and that's been twenty three years is that?
0: there are a lot of dual roles and a lot of, you know, jobs all over America. People have to do more and more than ever, but is that a particularly tough combination? Having never done anything like that? Uh, I got to imagine it's tough to produce and anchor the same newscast. Am I right? Am I wrong?
1: It has its moments when it's difficult, especially when there's breaking news, because you're changing things on the fly during commercial breaks Mm -hmm. and during the sports cast. But luckily there's, we've got a great assignment editor. We've got somebody called a line producer who handles, the timing and things like that. So Mm -hmm. she's great. And, uh, it's a great collaborative effort. And I found, I became a better anchor when I started producing my own stuff because it's me. Right. You know, every, when you write a newscast for somebody else, you have to have their voice in your head Mm -hmm. because you want to write copy that they're going to be comfortable with. So I'm obviously writing copy (laughs) I'm comfortable with. And, uh, and the newscast evolved after I took over. When I started it was kind of featurey and kind of a little more laid back. Right. Well, when I did it, I just sort of evolved it into something I was more comfortable with and we picked up the pace a little bit and mm. we got rid of some of the features and we kind of made it a harder uh, I call it radio on TV. <laughs> we 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 went in that direction. Right. And mm. that seems to have worked.
0: And did, was that the kind of thing you had to go and talk to uh, Stuber at the time or whoever was the news director? Or were you just able to kind of do this so incrementally that at first they didn't notice and they're like, we like what you're doing with that kid?
1: It was an evolution and nobody really seemed to mind. You know, it's, it wasn't a drastic change. It wasn't like we went off the air one Saturday and then the next day it was something radically different. It was. And it just it just tweaked and evolved and it just seemed to just work out that way.
0: So, uh, are you married? I know I should know this, but I don't know this. Are you a married guy?
1: No. Would you Would you know any any woman who would have? Me? No, I. Uh,
0: I know some women I, who would have you, but I don't know if they'd marry you. you know.
1: Please don't go there. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, I married my job. Okay. And I like I said, sometimes there's regrets, sure. but uh, you know. It is what it is. It is the life we have chosen, and we say, as we say, to organized crime.
0: Yeah, and look, you know, uh, I don't think you need to be married to be happy. Um, I think, I mean, I spent forty-one years of my life not even thinking about being married before I got there. Um, and, and one great thing when you're not married, it makes all the other pressures of this job, like time constraints and all that, so much easier to deal with.
1: I dated somebody a few years ago who knew me from. Yeah. You know, because we worked together years ago, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look, I'm a lousy boyfriend. I don't know that going in, and uh, I I lived up to it.
0: <laughs> they proved that one really fast, right?
1: Yeah, again, again, it's it's the hours. You know, it's like I'm I'm sorry, we can't go to that party. We can't go to that wedding. You're going to have to go alone, yep. man. It's just she was very forgiving. But oh, that's good, and she uh, sometimes is- it works in some. Sometimes it doesn't.
0: She's still in the media, not in the media anymore? is she one of the people who got out? No, she
1: was and then got out. Okay. So she knew what it was like. Right.
0: And that's why, you know, talking about, I, I mentioned I was 41. The woman I married worked uh, on the business side at a radio group uh, at Intercom who owns KRZ and Froggy and all that stuff. So she saw it from that end. So when we started dating, she kind of knew the drill and was very, very, and it's still to this day, incredibly understanding of the bizarre, weird hours and my unwillingness to want to do a lot of stuff when I'm home, you know?
1: Yeah. And then falling asleep in over dinner and, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that, yeah that sort of stuff. And yeah. Uh, Sorry, you know it's Christmas. I gotta go to work.
0: Yeah. Well, I haven't had to do that in a while, so that's good. But um, I mean, was you, like you still work all the holidays, though, right? I mean, you're Mister Part Time. You know, I mean, part time on the air. So, are you the anchor that has to do Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day and all that? Uh, Christmas. I'm, I'm Thursdays
1: is normally one of my days off. Okay. And um, uh, so I Thanksgiving is a holiday I'm guaranteed to have off. But mm-hmm. let's see, I've been doing this forty years. I've probably worked you know, low thirties of Christmases. And like I said, I I don't mind. My family's local. I don't have to travel. Mm -hmm. I'm not married. I'd rather work it and let some kid who has to go home to Jersey or Connecticut have the day off. And it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal to me. So that's my gift to the world.
0: You are such a magnanimous individual, (laughs) man, you know, (laughs) I'm running for Pope next (laughs) time. So let's talk about why you chose to stay in Northeast PA. You mentioned, you know, you, you went and interviewed down in Charlottesville. You had a chance to get out, but you wanted to stay closer to home. Uh, what do you love so much about Northeast PA besides that it's home and where you grew up? It's
1: inertia. Uh, <laughs> it's comfortable. It's comfortable. I know everybody here. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows me. You know, when I, when I call somebody for information, I get a call back. Right. Um you know, it, it, it's that sort of stuff. Um, like, it, it, it was mostly family. Okay.
0: Well, family's important, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Very. Free time, what does Andy Palumbo do? You know, you're not on that Thursday when you're off. What are you doing all damn day? How do you fill your time when you're not thinking about newscasts and timing out stories and writing uh, features and all that?
1: He sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's it? Weird. Uh, no, I, uh, I try to keep... The same schedule as I do when I'm working, right. so I'm up all night. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, this is, uh, people don't know we're recording this in the mid afternoon. Yeah,
0: I'm which keeping is you up late by
1: bedtime. Yep, <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't been up this late in a long time.
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: When I was younger, I could bounce back. I could work overnights and live like a normal person on my days off. Yeah, that's tough. But then, as I got a little older, I thought it's easier being on one schedule. Mm-hmm. So pre-pandemic there are twenty four hour gyms around here, I'd be walking a treadmill at two, three o'clock in the morning. Right. And you know you know this and you're going to laugh, but I ride my bike during the summer at two or three o'clock in the morning.
0: I always enjoy seeing it on Instagram, you know, two thirty in the morning, there's Palumbo doing twelve or thirteen miles in the dark. I think that's so great. I love it.
1: I I'm I'm safe. I have a reflective vest. My bike has lights and reflectors, yeah. front and rear. And I think sometimes it's safer in the middle of the night because there's no other traffic around.
0: Sure. You know, I I mean, I I ride to work sometimes at uh, 3.34 in the morning, and I I agree. One of these days, I'll have to get up real early and go out for a ride around the uh, mid-valley of Lackawanna County with you, you know?
1: It's fun. You know, I live in the mid-valley. I've uh, ventured down to uh, Scranton with a bike, Mm. and uh, it's just weird, empty streets and since when the pandemic hit last year and everything closed. And you would pass. It's been under a million different names. It's closed now. Levels and Rockies, yeah. and see them totally empty and see deserted city streets at midnight, twelve, one o'clock when they normally would have the bar crowd and a couple of food trucks. Yep. And it, it was just weird. But uh, I'm amateur photographer. I like playing with my camera. Yeah. Uh, I and mean, then it's not just taking the pictures. It's loading them into the computer and doing some with them and uh, you know little tweaks and edits. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like to read, and uh, you know I'm 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 kind of boring, but uh, that's what I do on my time <laughs> off.
0: So how did you become like? How did you get interested in photography? Was it being around all like the news photogs or something different? No,
1: no. It was. I always liked you know junior high and high school, but yeah. back in those days it was film, and right. film was expensive. Yeah, and it wasn't just the. It was just it wasn't the film. It was the processing. Mm-hmm. And if you're an amateur and you're not very good, it's a uh, very expensive hobby to be poor at this you know, goes back so to you when, being
0: cheap i know
1: yeah. <laughs> so when digital came in you know i, I was i didn't have the first digital cameras, but i was kind of early into it mm-hmm. and as johnny drama said on entourage with digital, there is no waste <laughs> and uh so if you don't like it you just delete it and now that i i'm old school i like a good looking shot coming out of the camera okay i don't like i don't like throwing it in photoshop and fixing all the flaws, even though I do some of that, sure. but not a great deal um, and you know, I've had a blog for seventeen years mm-hmm. and um, you know I'm not a huge Facebook guy, but you know being kind of social media active is part of the job yeah, so that that's what I do. I don't do anything i'm I'm not all that interesting, you know it's, it's something I just like to get in the car and go for a ride once I, in a while. I,
0: I totally disagree with you about not being that interesting. I've always thought of you as a very interesting guy. I remember. When I first met you and first started working at warm radio magic 93 and all that being kind of like uh like to me you were like a grown-up you know what I mean and now it's funny because you're only like eight <laughs> years older than me seven years older than me but then you're like he this is a grown-up he's got his life together I mean you know you're wearing a tie at work and all that stuff and I just thought to myself i someday I gotta I gotta grow up I gotta be like that 53 years old still haven't figured that part out
1: <laughs> well I always say I got old but I never grew up
0: I love it. I just think you're one of the the nicer people in in all that like, my, the entirety of my life that I've ever met. Um, do you have you ever said no to a, like a gen, like a favor for someone you know, uh, and not no because you couldn't do it because of work, but just like I don't want to do this for you. I don't. I don't think I. I can't imagine you doing that.
1: Uh, has been asking me to be on his podcast for the last couple of years. Since oh. he started it. I've always said no. Uh, uh, you know, there have been a couple of newspaper opportunities that wanted to talk to me about various things, and I always said no. Yeah. Uh, I felt bad. There was a, a college, this, oh man, there was a college thing I had to say no to.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, that was mostly for the hours, but this was somebody from, I think it was Abington Heights, called me and wanted to be one of the judges on a poetry. Competition for high school kids.
0: Yeah, I would say no.
1: And I, and I said, look, I said, I know nothing about poetry yeah. and I'm not going to judge, I'm not going to judge little kids. I couldn't crush a kid. <laughs> and she said, well, it's not about, the, it's not about the poetry. It's about the presentation and the style. And I said, still, no, I, I just, I just can't do that. Yeah. Um, through a third party, they used to be, and, uh, what was it called? They used to do something at the cultural center. Uh Mail View or something like that.
0: Oh uh yeah, yeah, I remember. I actually did one of those, yeah. I forget and what it was called. They
1: through a third party, they kind of dipped the toe in the water and asked if I would be interested, and the person from the station they asked that don't waste your time. I'll never do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you ever if they ever bring something like that back again, uh as nerve-wracking as it is uh i actually had a blast doing it it was a, it was a lot of fun and it might have been timed to the fact of when i got to do it because it was right when uh Danis and webster broke up and webster moved to wilk so he was on the panel uh and also kevin lynn who he replaced at wilk was on the panel so it was those two and me who had just taken webster's job at rock 107 and, and we just for some reason had a blast doing it you know well,
1: that's good i'm glad i'm glad it worked out but i i just I'm sure, I'm sure it was a wonderful event, but it just wasn't. It wasn't you. It wasn't for me, and I, uh, I, you know, weaseled out of
0: it. Is Snedeker going to be mad that you did my podcast, and why the hell did you say yes to me? His is so much bigger.
1: Well, you wear the green and the white. We have to stick together.
0: <laughs> it's all the Merrywood, baby. That's it. You know?
1: yeah, exactly. And then you, you've done me a couple of favors over the years. I think the last time I uh, was down in the studio was somebody died. Tom One Petty. Uh,
0: t- I thought you no, came down for it- Tom Petty, wasn't it?
1: It might have been, but I think it was also uh, somebody from the Eagles.
0: Oh yeah, when Glenn Fry died, yeah. Did you come down? I don't remember. I know we talked about it. Yeah, I did. Okay, I
1: did. Yeah. And getting nice. uh, yeah, yeah, an excuse to get a radio studio, which I, I love, and I still feel so out of place because things have changed so much over the years.
0: It's such a like, radically uh, different thing. Everything's so different, and and your business too. You know, everything is so different. You remember watching the photogs lug roll, roll around 35, 40 forty-pound cameras?
1: Uh, that's putting it mildly. They, you know, when I started, they had the camera, and then they had a separate recording. Oh, that's right. Out. And they, it was like three-quarter inch videotape, and mm-hmm. then Beta came in, and then DVDs came in, and mm-hmm. then now we shoot on these tiny little camera cards, and the cameras are so small and light, and really forgiving in low light, mm-hmm. and we don't even need live trucks anymore. We have these units that can transmit signals by the internet, and it's and who knows where we're going next.
0: It's all, we're all going to be replaced by, uh, AI generated graphics. That's it. We're not going to have real jobs soon. I would not be surprised. (laughs) Let's hope we, you, you and I get to retirement age before that happens. Right.
1: I'll be there before you.
0: I hope so, my man. Andy Palumbo, a weekend news anchor and producer of uh, so many morning casts and, and news at WNEP, longtime broadcaster, NEPA resident. Uh, I hope you consider me a friend because I always tell people, Andy's my friend. He's a good man. And, dude, thank you so much for being on my stupid little brand new nepotism podcast, buddy. I appreciate your time.
1: I'm surprised you're out of guests already and you have to call me.
0: You're number two, buddy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm honored uh, you know really thank you and uh, it was a pleasure and I, and I hope to see you soon if not I'll uh, text you with something you did that I didn't like
0: <laughs> I love it thanks buddy is there someone I should talk to for season two if it happens of nepotism they gotta live and work here in northeast PA they gotta be interesting if you got a suggestion hit me up prospector at rock107.com or nepotism podcast on twitter facebook and instagram Next time on Nepotism, we chat with the owner of Iron Heart Brewing, Matt Zook. Check it out as it drops on June 18th.